0: There. I'm Olive MacArthur, member of the CFA ESG Working Group, uh, responsible for helping to organise events and content with a focus on the fast moving world of ESG integration. Uh, and I'm joined by Anthony Linehan from Somerset Capital Management, um, who's the head of ESG strategy.
1: Hello, my name is Anthony Linehan, and I am a partner portfolio manager and head of ESG strategy at Somerset Capital Management. I've been investing in Asia and emerging markets for close to two decades now. Uh, my day job is to get under the bonnet of, of companies and understand how they make their money, not simply how they tell you they make their money. I've got a few hats at Somerset, I've had a few hats at Somerset, um, uh, one of which is understanding how ESG impacts our companies in emerging markets. It's a, a relatively um, unfinished body of work in the industry and is incredibly you know, exciting and actually a, a way of getting information out of companies and uh, that, 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 can, that can really matter to, to, to businesses going forward as consumers change their preference and as governments change their preference to, 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 to these issues. Uh, just to introduce our company, uh, for those that don't know us, uh, we're a long-only um, active emerging markets equity boutique uh, with offices in London and Singapore. Uh, we've been doing this for a long time. Uh, we've got an investment team of over 20 specialists, uh, based on the ground in Asia and, uh, uh, and here in London. Um, and we're, we're founded on uh, in-house integrated uh, research process focused
0: uh, uh, an approach to emerging markets. Just kick off with the first question. Uh, why are supply chain risks more prominent in emerging markets?
1: So uh, hi- historically, emerging markets have been dominated by you know, labor intensive activities relating to the, the model of growth that they had. Right. So it, primary sectors um, or, or low value added manufacturing sort of secondary sector jobs. So think about it as in um, a- agriculture, forestry, mining, uh, assembling other people's technology goods. Uh, these are these are models based on low cost extraction or low cost labor arbitrage versus the, 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 the developed world, if you want to use that word. Um, the model is changing. But you know, you know there are indigenous emerging market companies with very high value high skilled workforces doing doing things as as sophisticated as, as, uh, as anyone globally uh, but the the old fashioned growth model means that there's a legacy of supply chain issues in emerging markets I mean that's not gone
0: away very good and so how do these supply chain risks impact emerging market companies and and investors in those companies Everyone's got a supply chain
1: uh, but there are Various degrees of complexity, and within that complexity, you have the way that you know raw materials are handled, uh, but also how human capital uh, is handled. Uh, most of my comments today will be around that human capital management—you know, the looking after of workers within the supply chain—and there's a, quite a significant spectrum of of, of bad practices. Uh, if you look at the modern slavery um, uh, definition. On, under the sort of 2015 UK Modern Slavery Act, uh, it's it's quite a broad uh, exploitative um, you know array of things that could happen to 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 to, to, to workers. Um, you know, the, the uh, one end of the spectrum. I mean, all of them are unsavory and really unpleasant. But there, there is a range of there is a range of activities ranging from um, you know traditional slavery, so the mooring of um, ships off the coast of producing countries so that that ship doesn't come under um, national minimum wage or health and safety regulation. That's traditional slavery, that's not modern slavery. To uh, looking after um, or or, or shipping in workers to uh, a production uh, production site uh, from overseas or other parts of the country uh, and holding them to account by charging them um, you know, transportation costs, or uh, placement fees, or accommodation costs, and make meaning that they they don't really have any take-home pay. Uh, their documents are seized; they, they are unable to leave. Uh, you know, that's effectively indentured labor, and in some countries, that's you know technically legal, but you know, in, incredibly unsavory, and it's not something that we want to fund, and we don't think is um, is, is going to stand the test of time from a regulatory perspective. Um, and then finally, you know, uh, with a reference to the sort of higher skilled, higher value jobs that are being created in emerging markets, um, you, you need to look for companies that are looking after their workers um, um, with, uh, it, it, to the same regard that, you know, with the same issues that, that, that we find here. So uh, IT consultants, game developers are all pushing back against the 996 culture in, in China, for example. So you work 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. six days a week as a very minimum. Um, you know, this is something that you know, is impacting as emerging markets change towards you know, higher value job creation entities, looking after human capital in the, in the conventional sense that you and I know it is, is, very, much, is very much important. But it doesn't take away from the, you know, the really horrible practices that I mentioned earlier
0: on. Thanks, Anthony. It's clearly a multi-stakeholder issue. So, just just from an investor perspective, what can we do as investors to help tackle these issues? The first thing I say is
1: that this is hard, uh, and there are no you know, there are no shortcuts uh, to, to to doing this. Um, there were two sort of broad pillars that I'll talk about: due diligence and engagement. On, on, on the due diligence. Um, um, you need to, you know, build a mosaic or, or a picture uh, through repeated analysis and and, and, and different um, you know, modes of information extracting to see how seriously a company is taking these issues. Uh, that you know that comes in the form of them proving that they are, you know, checking their suppliers. They are proving that they are auditing the third party labor um, uh, 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 arrangements that, that 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 they have in place. Um, you can do it through third party, you know, buy off the shelf solutions, uh, but in emerging markets they don't really work. Um, you know, there are very you know, very specific emerging market considerations that are not picked up by a, a, a big firm such as MSCI Sustainalytics or, or similar that have to cover 6,000 or 8,000 companies. Um, ultimately, it's, we, you have to be at the mind face and you have to do the work yourself. Um, so that's on the, on the due diligence side. Uh, The other pillar I mentioned was was engagement. Um, We have a very privileged position in the capital structure where we get access to senior decision makers and we are able to show them uh, the priorities of asset owners, but also our priorities as investors for how to how how we expect the capital to be stewarded. uh, emerging market engagement is very different to developed market engagement. There isn't the culture of, of an exchange of well-meaning letters that you, you may see as a, um, you know, a, 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 a standing point in in, in developed market um, I- engagements. Over half of our companies are, are owned, majority owned by a government entity or a single founding shareholder. Um, which means you have to learn to influence them and show alignment, rather than hectoring them or, or uh, trying to uh, handbag them at an AGM or, or an EGM. You just won't win. Uh, voting is important, but we find repeated softer influencing through engagement with senior decision makers is much is, is a much more um, is much more powerful is a much more powerful tool. But ultimately, it's, it's, this is hard, and you you won't be a hundred percent sure that. You'll pick everything up, but you can take steps to try and minimise the risk of these things happening.
0: Thanks, Anthony. Um, it's, it's clear data is often a, a critical issue within ESG integration and investment analysis. So, what does supply chain data look like in, a, in an emerging market context? That's
1: you know a really astute question. Um, the, the, the challenges that you, you've seen around climate and environmental data. Over the last few years, and the improvements there on the supply chain side, uh, we are a few years behind. Uh, so there are no standardized, um, you, know, you know, metrics or or um, or, 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 um, uh, or or standards that you can that you can point to right now. Um, we, we've developed an approach where we, we we look at a management quality assessment style analysis uh, around the pillars that you see for TCFD. But when we look at them. For 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 the supply for supply chains and how companies are looking at um, at, at how at how robust their own supply chains and labour providers are, so that involves um, you know is there a policy? To what extent does it reflect the values of the company? Uh, is the policy being audited by a third party, or is it simply a questionnaire that people fill out? Uh, does it link to you know KPIs metrics? Um, you know these are the you know, these are the things that we're having to develop because you know the disclosures not amazing and it's not harmonised. However, in our experience, a company, you know, an, ind- an indicator or signifier of a, of a really good, well managed company that looks at asset efficiency and or how it uses human capital and, and and raw materials and other factors of production, they know all this and they're happy to share it. They just not they haven't been asked to. Either by the exchange or by investors who've been worried more about the next two quarters of earnings. So actually, the ability to to show this data, um, you know, the number of suppliers at different stages in the supply chain, the degree to which that's audited, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Again, that's a signifier of a you know a high quality company in our opinion. But would, yeah, supply chain harmonised supply chain data, it's just not there yet. I so you've got to do the work yourself.
0: Thanks, Antony. Clearly, a lot more to do on on the data front. So. Perhaps just circling back to the investor conversation, what what questions should asset owners be asking their appointed asset managers regarding supply chain risks?
1: In one phrase, prove it. Um, Assets, uh, in, in the same way that we're asking companies to reveal their true preference as to how seriously they are taking these issues through some of the questions that I've indicated above, You know, we we talk about it through our pre-investment due diligence lists. Um, Asset owners need to be asking asset managers, you know, to what extent are you taking it seriously? Or are you simply buying an off-the-shelf solution from a global provider, which is better than nothing, um, but it's not best practice. To what extent uh, are the questions an asset management company is asking portfolio holdings reflective of how they go about their investing? Why is it important to ask the questions on supply chain, and how does it link to you know what you are trying to achieve from companies? This shouldn't be an ESG standalone silo or overlay or something for marketing purposes that we can roll out to consultants or asset owners. You know, reporting's one aspect of it, but you know, great pra- you know best practices showing how these factors really matter to the companies, their long-term performance, and ultimately uh, the stewardship of you know the asset owners' capital.
0: Thanks very much, Anthony, for sharing your insights on supply chain risk today. Clearly been a lot of work that's gone into it at, at Somerset. Um, and I hope you can join us for future podcasts.
1: Thanks, Oliver, and to uh, the CFA Society of the UK uh, for, for inviting me. And thanks very much for listening.